Welcome to Redemption Church Online. Thanks for joining us today. Hope this finds you doing well. A couple of things before we get into the message that I want to mention. First is the whole month of May, we are doing what we call Free Food Fridays, which is hard to say if you say it too quickly. Uh, But every Friday night, we are giving away free meals, uh, cooked, ready-to-go dinners to people in our community. And so uh, to get inf- more information about that, please reach out to us. You can check us out on Facebook or email us or however you want to contact us. If you would like to receive uh, free food on Fridays, we would love to uh, have you participate in that. We also, since this all began, have had an ongoing care package ministry where we have uh, put together care packages of food and household items that we've been delivering to people uh, who Uh, have not been going out and doing their own shopping uh, or just need some extra assistance in this time. So if you'd like to receive a care package, contact us. We'd love to provide one of those for you and get some more information on how we can get that to you. And then lastly, our small groups are up and running. Uh, We're meeting virtually. We're using Zoom like many people are doing today. Uh, We'd love to have you be a part of one of our small groups. This is a great and easy time to check out a small group at Redemption Church. So if you'd like more information on that, reach out to us and uh, we can put you in touch with some of the leaders or give you some of the options to get you involved in our small groups. We are in the book of Ecclesiastes. Today we're in chapter 11. We're down to the last two chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes. Today we're going to look at Ecclesiastes 1 through 6 and I'm going to ask Jocelyn Bolowitz to read today's passage for us. Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 6. Send your bread on the surface of the water, for after many days you may find it. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full, they will pour out rain on the earth, whether a tree falls to the south or the north. The place where the tree falls, there it will lie. One who watches the wind will not sow, and the one who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you don't know the path of the wind— or how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman, so also you don't know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening do not let your hand rest, because you don't know which will succeed, whether one or the other, or if both of them will be equally good. As I've said a few times in this series, Ecclesiastes is uh, what we call wisdom or even sometimes referred to as poetical literature. And I think that's significant because as we study the Bible, it's important to know what type of literature we're reading. The Bible has uh, various genres in it, and we need to know uh, so that we interpret properly uh, what type of genre we are in. And so wisdom and poetical literature is interesting, especially when it comes to the Bible. But this this is a genre of literature that's very familiar to all of us. I think we've all heard heard uh, a fair amount of poetry or proverbial language, you know, the types of um, things that we hang on to that give us advice throughout life. And so we're familiar with this, but this is, this is, you know, 3000 year old uh, ancient Near Eastern wisdom literature. And so some of the languages that can be confusing at times is certainly very different than a lot of the things that we're accustomed to in our modern wisdom or poetical literature. And that comes into play in this passage. There's some things here uh, that are interesting to understand and to interpret. This is not like we often find in the New Testament. These are not, uh, this is not a theological uh, treatise. This is not um, meant to be uh, things that are true all the time everywhere. 
You know, this is not math, in other words. This is art. Uh, math, two plus two equals four all the time. Two plus two equals four. Uh, that never changes. That's true all, all, the, all the time, anywhere you go. That's math. It's precise. It's accurate. It's true all the time. We find lots of things like that in the New, in, in, in the New Testament or throughout the Bible. I think of Paul's letters where he's, he's trying to convey accurate theological information that's always true all the time. When we come to Ecclesiastes, it's more art. It's more poetry. Think of uh, roses are red, violets are blue. Well, roses aren't always red. There are all, co- all different colors of roses. Even violets aren't always blue. In fact, violets are almost never blue. They're more purple. They're, they're violet. We even name a color after them. But that's art. That's poetry. We understand that it's not, meant, it, it's not about the accuracy. It's about the beauty. It's, it's about the meaning that it's trying to convey. And so we see that type of language in Ecclesiastes. The language is provocative. It's, it's meant to get you to think. It's meant to challenge your thinking. It's, it's, it's meant to be memorable and to be the type of thing that you wrestle with. And it's, it's not two plus two equals four. It's roses are red, violets are blue. It's something that we need to ponder. It's something that we need to think about. And so keep that in mind as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses one through six together today. As I looked at this passage, uh, I was really just trying to understand the structure of what's being said here. And the thing that jumped out at me, and you may have noticed it as we just read through it together uh, a minute ago, there are three, you don't know statements. Three times the author, uh, the author is known in the text as Kohelet. That's a Hebrew word that generally means like teacher or something along those lines. So the author Kohelet three times speaks of things you don't know. And I think that's an interesting thing for us today because we are living in a time of we don't know. I mean, how many times have you been listening to uh, some government leader or a health official speak uh, of this situation and what to expect in the future? And at the end of the day, everybody has a whole lot of, you know, we really don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what to expect. We, we can, you know, put some ideas or some opinions out there. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a we don't know situation. In fact, I would, I would say, I don't know if there's ever been a time in recent human history where there's been such a broad reaching attitude of we don't know. There is more uncertainty on the earth, certainly than, than any time in my lifetime. And it's global. The entire world is living under this cloud of we just don't know. Never in my lifetime have there been so many experts so wrong and so, so um, misled about so many things. I mean, people come out and they think they've got the answers and they've got this all figured out and here's what we know. And then three days later, what we knew three days ago is no longer true. And at the end of the day, it's just a big old, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know what this virus is doing. We don't know what to expect for six months from now. And as time goes on, we hope that that continues to become clearer and clearer. But how do we live in this, this, this world of such an uncertain future? Well, that's precisely what Ecclesiastes 11 is talking about. So I've titled the message today, Responding to an Uncertain Future. 
And as you follow the, the, three don't, the, the three you don't knows, you actually see that there is advice for action steps that you can and should, actually that you must take when you're living in a world of we don't know. And so I want to follow these you don't knows. The, the you don't knows of life cause us stress. Not just COVID-19, but there's a lot of things that we don't know how they're going to play out in our lives. We can't see into the future. That's one of the recurring themes throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is that we aren't God. We're not all knowing. We, we can't see what lies ahead. We can't predict. We can't control what is going to happen next. That we live in a world of you don't know and we don't know. That causes stress. It causes anxiety. But the good news is there are things we can do in the face of this type of uncertainty. And so I think, I hope that this will be very practical. Uh, My main idea today is this, and if you have the handout in front of you, uh, you can get ready to fill in some blanks. The main idea is this, living in a world of uncertainty requires us to invest our lives wisely. Living in a world of uncertainty requires us to invest our lives wisely wisely. And so what I want to do with this passage, because we just have six verses here in in chapter 11 of Ecclesiastes, but as we, as we come to scripture and as we study any passage of scripture, it's important that we understand that we understand the verses that are in front of us in their broader context. And so what I want to do is I want to move beyond the immediate verses of uh, chapter 11, verses one through six. And I want to understand and apply those verses in the context of the entire book of Ecclesiastes. But it's very important that we don't stop there, that we actually go into the context of the entire Bible itself. And that's what we've been trying to do throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, particularly because a lot of the messages in Ecclesiastes uh, the information that comes to light in the New Testament after Jesus comes and lives and dies and and rises from the dead, uh, the information that comes after that kind of reinforms how we view the book of Ecclesiastes. The writer of Ecclesiastes, somewhere around a thousand years before Christ, or at least a few hundred years before Christ, didn't have all of that information. And so there's a lot of things that maybe the perspective shifts a little bit. It's not that Ecclesiastes is untrue, it's that it's incomplete. And so that's what we want to do, particularly with these six verses. We want to move from that passage into the context of the book and ultimately into the context of the entire Bible. So we're going to move from what is in these, these verses, a very narrow application into a broader application that covers all of life. And to do that, we'll follow the pattern of the three you don't know statements. Next on your handout, you'll see this. This is the first, uh, the first of those three you don't know statements that I want to comment on. Since you don't know, invest diversely to receive a return. Invest diversely to receive a return. I'm trying to follow the language of the first couple of verses. We, uh, you know, this isn't anything new. We, we say things like, don't put your, put all your eggs in one basket, which I, I was reflecting on that because I thought of that when I read this, read these verses. 
that's an interesting uh, idiom. I don't, I don't know how that originated. I tried to find how that originated. What is the value of putting all of your eggs in one basket? I mean, I, I prefer not to put my eggs in a basket, period. Put my eggs in a styrofoam carton. I mean, what's going to happen to eggs in a basket? If you want to keep eggs safe, put them in a styrofoam carton. But obviously this originated at a time before we did things like that. And so I'm picturing like somebody going out and they got a bunch of chickens and they're collecting eggs and they're putting them all in their basket. And I, I guess I can understand if, if something were to happen, you were a trip and, and drop your basket, all of your eggs would be ruined. But what's the purpose of, uh, what are you going to do? Put a few in one basket and a few in another and make multiple trips, thereby increasing your, I don't know. These are the things, these are the things that are going through my head as I'm working through this. But we say things like this. Don't, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And everybody knows what that means. Everybody knows that means sort of, you know, Spread out your investments. I don't just mean financial investments, but don't just count on one particular thing coming through or working for you. Uh, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't, don't, um, or, or, or the inverse of that, invest diversely to receive a return. Let me read that passage again. It says in verse one, send your bread on the surface of the water for after many days, you may find it. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full, they will pour out rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or the north, the place where the tree falls, there it will be. Okay, so here's our, here's our first, you don't know. It's in verse two. You don't know what disaster may happen on earth. The cool thing about this passage is that in, for every one of these you don't knows, there's a command or a recommendation, there's advice. Uh, and with each of those pieces of advice comes a result. The result here is you, the, the you don't know is you don't know what disaster may f- happen on earth. The command is to send your bread on the surface of the water, give a portion to seven or to eight. And if you do that, you will find it. And, and again, here, the, the metaphor is, is kind of difficult. What does it mean to send bread out on the water? I mean, if we threw bread out on the water, we would expect it to get real soggy real fast and eventually just disappear, probably get eaten by fish. We don't expect bread to come back to us. This is, this is just a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Uh, most people uh, would believe this is a metaphor for international trade. Uh, the land of Israel was up against the Mediterranean Sea, and in ancient times, international trade was uh, a very lucrative way, uh, or, or lucrative business, a way to make a lot of money. And if this, if this, uh, if the book of Ecclesiastes does follow the life of King Solomon, which is up for debate, but if it does, uh, we know from biblical history that King Solomon made a fortune off of international trade. And so it's reasonable to think that that's what's in mind here. Send your bread out on the surface of the water for after many days, you will find it. And international trade took a long time. It's, it's not exactly immediate today either, but it took a long time back then. You would make an investment. You would send out resources that you had, uh, and it would take a long time for those ships to come back with your return. But the, the point here is that we, you should invest diversely. It says in verse three, and because the you don't know is what disaster may happen on earth. And as I kind of jump back to the situation we're living through today, 
I mean, nobody knew this was going to happen. I mean, politicians now were blaming each other and fighting with each other and, uh, you know, debating who had the right responses early on. The reality is nobody, nobody knew this was going to happen. Nobody expected this. Nobody thought that in 2020, a virus like this could do the damage that has been done. We don't know. We don't know the disaster that may happen on earth. Verse three says, if the clouds are full, they will pour out rain on the earth. And then he says, whether a tree falls to the south or the north, the place where the tree falls, there it will be. These are just metaphoric examples of we don't know what is going to happen on the earth. It rains whenever the heck it wants to. And meteorologists, I mean, they're pretty good at, at telling us what the weather is going to do. I mean, we, we joke about meteorologists. It's one of the only jobs where you can be wrong 90% of the time and keep your job and all that kind of stuff. But they're actually pretty good at telling us what it's going to do, considering I have no idea how they do that, how they know. Uh, I just don't follow or understand the science, I guess. I'm not, not saying that it's not science. I just don't get it. I don't understand it. Um, but it rains when it wants to. There have been several times in the last couple of weeks where I've been planning some work outside and I look at the forecast. I'm like, man, it's going to rain all day. Look, every hour says it's going to rain. And then half the day goes by and I didn't go out and work in the yard because I thought it was going to rain and it hasn't rained yet. Or, you know, you go out and you try to do something. You're like, all right, I got a little window here. I'm going to get some things done. And then it starts raining. We don't control the rain is the point. We don't, we don't have influence over that. It's something that's beyond our control. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, I mean, trees fall. In my backyard right now, I have this massive maple tree that actually, um, I mean, the thing's got to be 100 years old or more. And I worry about it all the time. If it were to fall, it could fall on my house. It could fall on my neighbor's house. Um, Before we moved here to Lower Borough, we actually had a tree that got hit by lightning. And we were in our house and it was probably about 30 feet from our house. And the lightning hit it during a storm and it literally shook the house, shook the windows, sounded like a bomb going off. And I I went outside after the storm and I saw what I'll call a splinter off of this tree. It was about 10 feet long and it was probably that thick and it was like 50 feet from the tree. I mean, when that lightning hit, that thing exploded. And I was talking to my neighbor and that tree sits right on, uh, on the border of our property. I was talking to my neighbor uh, who had just pulled into his driveway, literally like 10 feet from this tree that exploded. He pulled into the driveway right before it happened. He's still in his truck when it happened. And the shrapnel of the tree actually hit his truck. And part of the tree came down and ended up being a, a huge mess. Trees are not easy to move. (laughs) They're just not easy to move. And uh, it's alluded to here in Ecclesiastes, the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. And uh, it's a lot of work to move a big tree. And we do so with chainsaws and mechanical equipment, which they didn't have back then. And so I think the metaphor is, is a powerful one here. There's things that happen in life that are are difficult to adjust to, that we don't have control over. We don't know what disaster may happen on the earth. Therefore, invest diversely to receive a return. I think the emphasis here in the passage is is on the diversity, but I want to emphasize the investment part. I think that's the part that, that 
carries over uh, into the broader application of our lives today and how we should apply this. I mean, this, and the reason I kind of set this up that we're going to move from the narrow application into the broader context of what the Bible says uh, about all of life, particularly from a New Testament uh, Christian perspective is because verses one through six really going to sound like a lot of financial or business advice. But if we, if we read this in the context of even the, the rest of chapter 11 and then chapter 12, we see that there's an intended application beyond that. And then if we read it in the context of the whole Bible, the application gets even broader. And so I think it's, it's fair to broaden the application of what we're talking about here. And that's what I want to do. So there's this emphasis on diversity, but let's talk about investment. Because money isn't, isn't the only thing that we are called to invest wisely. Our greatest currency actually isn't, isn't physical, but it's spiritual. How are you investing the life that God has given you is of far greater importance than what you do with your financial resources. Although your financial resources are a significant part of that. But how are you investing the life that God has given you? That's the question I want to ponder for a couple of minutes. I thought of the parable of the talents in the New Testament. Jesus told this parable in Matthew chapter 25. And uh, the word talents here is, can be misleading. It's not really referring to gifting or ability. It's actually referring to a large sum of money. Talent uh, represents a large sum of money here. But he tells this parable in the context of people asking him, what's going to happen in the end? What's the end times going to be like? Jesus is alluding to his return. And so people want to know what's, what's it going to be like when you return? And uh, he tells a parable before this. It's, it's called the parable of the 10 virgins where he, he talks basically to make a, 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 well, a relatively short parable, even shorter. There are, there are 10 uh, women who are preparing for a bridegroom. And they, uh, Jesus uses the analogy of they have these lamps that required oil. Well, five of them had enough oil and they were prepared to wait. Five of them weren't prepared. They didn't have enough oil. They had to go get more oil in the middle of waiting. And while they were gone, the bridegroom came and they missed out. So he, he, and, and he says, don't be like that. He's basically saying, be prepared, right? But then he goes immediately into the parable of the talents, I'll read. This won't be on the screen. I just want you to listen as I read. In Matthew 25, I'll start in verse 13. He says, therefore, be alert because you don't know either the day or the hour. This is right after the parable of the 10 virgins. Then he goes into this parable. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two talents. And to another, one talent, depending on each's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who received the five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And then I'll I'll just paraphrase um, what happens next. So the master returns after a long time and he wants to see what these, what these servants have done with his investment. He brings in the one who had been given the five talents and the one who'd been given the two talents, both who doubled the investment and had a return for the master, who, by the way, invested diversely. He invested in several different servants, knowing um, that his, his uh, chances of getting a return were much greater that way. 
and they both had done well. And so he says this to them. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. And then he deals with the one talent guy. You remember the one talent guy took the investment that the master had made in him and he buried it and he did nothing with it. His master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus uses extremely strong language to refer, to, 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 to speak of what it will be like for those who have received an investment. In this case, I'm speaking of the investment of the life that God has given you. The totality of the life that God has given you, your time, your energy, your giftings and abilities, your resources, every, the opportunities, your life in totality, that is an investment on God's behalf. He has invested in you and he's expecting a return. He's expecting you to do something with it. Invest your life for you have to give an account. Invest as we, as we see from Ecclesiastes 11, invest to receive a return. Those who, who took the investment that God made in them and, and brought back a return, he said to them, share in your master's joy. Well done, good and faithful. Sir. What it will be like for, for those who get to hear those words from the God and creator of the universe. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear those words? Share in your master's joy, eternal life, sharing in the master's joy, sharing in all that he has to be in his presence and to experience joy before him for all of eternity. That is the reward for those who invest their lives wisely. For those who invest their lives to receive a return through faithfulness to God's commandments. So invest your life for you have to give an account. Next thing on the handout is this. You don't know. So don't wait to act to reap a harvest. Don't wait to act to reap a harvest. Well, I've, one of the things we say is similar to this um, the whole idea of don't wait to act carpe diem, seize the day, seize the day. Don't wait Live right now. Don't push it off to tomorrow. Don't, don't hide behind your excuses, but act now. Do it today. Today is the day that you have. Back in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, I want to read verses 4 and 5. It says, One who watches the wind will not sow, and the one who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you don't know the path of the wind, or how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman, so also you don't know the work of God who makes everything. Uh, Kohelet in, in Ecclesiastes alludes to this, references this idea uh, many, many times. He just, he's consumed by the mystery of how things happen. 
consumed by the mystery of how God works and the, his, his ways, which seem so unknowable at times. And he, he, and he's back on that again here. You don't know the work. That's the, you don't know. You don't know the work of God who makes everything. He sets that up with, you don't know the path of the wind. Wind, wind, wind is unresponsive to us. It does not, it does not obey us. It does whatever it wants to do. Or, and we are unaware of what it's going to do. We don't know how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman. There are things that are just beyond our ability to comprehend. So also you don't know the work of God who makes everything. So that's the, you don't know, but the command here is to act now. He warns that the one who watches the wind will not sow. The one who looks at the clouds will not reap. That's what we want out of this passage. We want to be ones who reap, ones who receive a reward, who reap a harvest. The one who watches the wind, he's the one who makes excuses. He's the one that that looks around and, and says, this is why I can't do this now. This is why this will have to wait. This is why I'm not ready or on and on the excuses go. It's, it's watching the wind. It's looking at the clouds. It's looking for any way out of action. It's looking for any excuse to avoid being responsible and to invest in the way that we are called to invest. Back to the parable of the talents. The one talent guy, he's the one who took the investment, the talent that he had been given, and he buried it in the ground. Well, I skipped over the part where he tells us why he did this. He actually had excuses. He justified his inaction. He justified doing nothing with the talent that he had this way. He said, and I'll be in Matthew 25. This won't be on the screen. Just listen as I read. Verse 24, the man who had received the one talent also approached and said, master, I know you, you are a harsh man reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant. We might be tempted to, to empathize with this guy. He was afraid. He, 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 he's, he said right here, the master was a harsh man. He wasn't easy to deal with. So this guy was afraid, but his, his true heart is revealed in the master's response. You evil, lazy servant. You have these other two guys who they immediately went to work. They, without making excuses, without worrying about the character of the master, they had a job to do and they knew they needed to go do it. And they went and they succeeded and they reaped a harvest. They got to share in the master's joy. But this guy, he makes excuses. He blames, he blames the master, calling him a harsh man, reaping where, where he hasn't sown, gathering where he hasn't scattered. See, what does that have to do with anything? He has invested in this man. He has sown with this man. This is simply not true. So he says, I was afraid I went off. I hid your talent in the ground. <laughs> Here, have what you gave me. And he suffers. The master uh, takes what little he already had and he gives it to those who were faithful. He does not receive entrance into the joy of the master. He is cast out from the master's presence. So we see here, I think a helpful illustration that we can't hide behind excuses. Don't wait to act. Don't, 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 don't use the wind or the clouds as an excuse, whatever those may be in your life. But invest your life wisely. 
do with it what God has called you to do. And I'll talk about what that is when we get to the end. You know, when I was, uh, before we left our previous church to plant redemption, uh, I spent 15 years at my previous church and, uh, all along the way, I mean, I, I felt called to preach and to lead, uh, much like I have the opportunity to do here at redemption for a long time. Uh, but there were a lot of reasons why I stayed put in a, in, in a, uh, position where I had a lot of opportunity, but I didn't really have those opportunities. And, um, Eventually, it got to the point, I think it was around the end of like 2017, heading into 2018, where this thought was just bugging me, that God had called me to do something, that God had made uh, an investment of, of gifting. Again, I don't, I don't say that like, I don't think I'm the most gifted preacher. Um, nonetheless, I feel like that's what he's called me to do and what he's put me on earth to do. And it got to the point where I was like, I just can't sit on this anymore. And I, I just became overwhelmingly convinced that it was time. It was time to act. It was it, the time for waiting was no longer. The time for excuses was no longer. And it was time to move. And you know, all of us have been called by God to do something on earth. He's called you to do something. He's, he's given you a gifting and he's given you an ability to, to do something for him on this earth. And he expects a return on that. He expects us to act on that, to invest that, and to do it wisely. Okay, the last thing on the handout, the, the third you don't know here is this. You don't know, so be diligent and work hard while you can to have success. I'm going to, uh, let me just say that again in case you're taking notes. So, so be diligent and work hard while you can to have success. I'm going to reread verse six, our final verse here it says in the morning, sow your seed and at evening, do not let your hand rest because you don't know which will succeed, whether one or the other, or if both of them will be equally good. So here's the, you don't know, you don't know which is going to succeed. Again, this whole idea of diversify your investments, you know, invest in a lot of things because you don't know and from this good sound business financial advice in a lot of ways, right? But when it comes to our lives, we want to invest wisely as well. The you don't know is you don't know which will succeed. What we hope to receive is success. The goal is success, right? You don't know which one's going to succeed. So do both. In the morning, sow your seed. And at evening, don't let your hand rest. I don't think, because we've read the entire book of Ecclesiastes and we've, we've gone through much of this together. I don't think that he's advocating work without rest. I mean, that's the idea and work in the morning and work until evening. It's, and it's not just work a little bit in the morning, take a break and then work in evening. This is a metaphor meant to mean work from morning until evening, work, work the day through. He's not advocating work without rest. We know that from the rest of Ecclesiastes, but he's advocating strongly for diligent, faithful work. It's not so much the time of day or the hours that are important. It's that are you working diligently? Are you working hard at what God has given you to do on earth? That's what, what it means to invest our lives wisely, to be faithful, to be diligent, to be hardworking at what God has placed us on this earth to do. I like what Jesus said in John chapter 9. He's, a, he's a 
he's confronted with a situation uh, where there's a man who was born blind. And this was a very popular debate among people at that time. Why would somebody be born blind? And there was different opinions on that. And one of the more popular opinions was that that somebody in his family, his parents specifically must have sinned and he's being punished as a result of their sin. Okay. And so they, they bring this blind man to Jesus and they, they say, who sinned this man or his, or his parents? And that was another opinion was that somehow perhaps he sinned in utero or something strange like that. And that's why he's born blind. And, and Jesus sets the record straight. He says, it's not because of his sin or anyone else's, but this happened so that the works of God might be on display. And then he says in verse four of John chapter nine, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus isn't concerned with daylight and nighttime. He's using this metaphorically. The day is while we have the opportunity. Night is when the opportunity goes away. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. And the same is true for us. Jesus worked. He did it. He was, he was diligent and he was faithful to do everything that God placed him on the earth to do. He didn't do more, more than he was placed on earth to do. You understand there was a lot of things that Jesus didn't do. This is not a command that we need to try to do it all. It's that we need to find what God has called us to and do it diligently and do it faithfully. Jesus worked and Jesus rested, but at the end of the day, he did everything that God had asked him to do. He invested his life wisely, more wisely than anybody else ever in, the, in human history. And we should do the same. So be diligent. What do you do when you don't know what's going to happen in the future? I mean, even though it's highlighted right now because of the, the COVID-19 situation, we never knew what was going to happen. We never really know what's going to happen next. You don't know what kind of calamity might come on the earth. You don't even fully understand the works of God and what he's going to do. And we don't know exactly what will succeed in life. So be diligent. Work hard while you can. This is where uh, the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes is going to go. It's going to go into this idea that we have a limited time here on earth. And that what we do here on earth, we'll have to give an account to God for. And so we should take the time that we have and we should be faithful, diligent workers while we can. So what is your work? I want to break this down real quickly as we close into two things. First of all, there's your personal work. I've alluded to this already. What did God place you, you specifically as an individual on this earth to do? That's, and that might cause you a lot of grief and anxiety or stress trying to figure out, well, am I doing what God has called me to do? Am I doing the specific thing? And, and it's not always as if it's like one particular job or one particular task that God has called you to. It can be a broad range of things, but you need to be confident that you know why you are on earth and what God is asking you to do with your life and then do it. Do it now. And do it faithfully and work hard at it and be a faithful servant. Invest the life that God has given you wisely and do what he's called you to do.
Uh, and until you know exactly what that is, just do what you can see that he has placed in front of you. Because oftentimes that is what God has called us to do. It, it's to, to do, I mean, I go back to before I left to plant Redemption Church uh, for those 15 years, there were a lot of times where I was like, I just don't feel like this is exactly, you know, when I was 17 years old, I felt like, I felt like God called me into ministry to preach the word. And I was having somewhat limited opportunities to do that over those 15 years. It, it came and it went at different times throughout that season. But I knew I was where I was supposed to be. And I knew that I was doing what I was supposed to be doing at that time. And so I just tried to be faithful. I just tried to do the best at, at that that I could do. Um, so sometimes it's not, it's not so much about getting to where you think you need to be. It's about being faithful with what, the task that God has given you right here, right now, in this season of your life. Um, but then there's our corporate work. So you have your personal work, and then we have our corporate work. And God speaks a lot about what our corporate work is in his word. We say it this way at Redemption. This is, uh, this is our mission statement. To declare and demonstrate God's plan of redemption in Jesus Christ. We want to declare and demonstrate the message of the gospel. What Jesus has done to save us. That's what we exist to do. To declare it, just like we're doing now, verbally, to use words, to speak the gospel message, to speak of God's plan of redemption, but also to demonstrate it, to be out in our community, showing the love of Jesus Christ through the things that we do and how we serve our community and how we serve the people around us. And so that's our corporate work. And I've said it many times, I'll say it again. There are 150,000 people within a 20-minute drive of Redemption Church. 150,000 people, most of whom do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That is our work. That is what we are called to invest in. That is what we are called to work diligently at, to not wait, but to act now and to work hard at helping those people come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And we do that by declaring and demonstrating God's plan of redemption. I hope that you'll join us in that. I hope that you'll not only do what you feel God has called you personally to do on earth, but that you will join us in our corporate work, in the work of, of, of God's church everywhere to declare and demonstrate his plan of redemption, to spread gospel love, to spread the message of Jesus, and to put it, to, to put it into action by how we serve the community. But it begins with trusting Jesus to be your savior and following him as your Lord. That's where it all begins. And if you haven't done that yet, I just want to remind you that Jesus Christ came to the earth 2000 years ago. He lived the perfect life that God required you to live, but have not lived. And then he went and paid the price for your sins by dying on a cross, suffering greatly, even separation on the cross from, from his father, whom he existed with in eternity. And he did that for you. He did that to pay the price for your sins so that by his death, you could be forgiven. So that by his death, you could be saved and that you could have eternal life. And if you'll trust that he did that for you, if you'll believe that that was for you and place your trust for eternal life in him, you can receive salvation in Jesus. And then it's time to join us. It's time to join us in working for the Lord. It's time to join us in investing our lives wisely so that we could accomplish what God has placed us here on earth to do. And in the end, hear those beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. 
come and share in my joy. That's our hope that one day we'll cross the finish line and hear those words from Jesus and be rewarded with eternal life. If you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that today and to join us as the family of believers. And I want to pray. And as I pray, uh, you can make that confession of faith now. You can speak to Jesus in your own words, letting him know you want to receive his salvation, that you're trusting him to be your savior, and that you're ready to follow him as the Lord of your life. And for the rest of us, I hope that you'll chew on these words. That's what, that's what wisdom literature wants us to do, to provoke us to thought, to provoke us to how we're going to apply this to life. How are you going to live out these commands to invest your life wisely? I'll pray for us as we think about that today. Jesus, first and foremost, we want to thank you. We have life today because you graciously give it. You have invested in us. You've invested in us days years, breath, strength, gifts, and abilities. You have given us this life to live. May we be faithful with it. May we invest it wisely, doing the things that you command, walking in relationship with you and obeying you as our Lord. God, if there's anybody listening today who wants to receive you for salvation today, would you come into their heart and into their lives in a powerful and transformative way. Help them know that they have eternal life in you and help them to begin following you as Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thanks for joining us. Let's continue in worship and we hope to see you online again next week.